Welcome to Other You, a podcast where we discuss a decision in our lives that may or may not have had a long-lasting impact. We unpack some of the factors behind it and then explore in short story form what the other version of ourselves might have experienced around that time or shortly thereafter. I'm your host, Dee. Let's see where this story takes us. Welcome back to another episode of Other You. I'm your host, Dee, and on today's episode, I have with me a vet a musician, a fellow podcaster who's had experience in law enforcement, consulting, church staff, and he has degrees, multiple degrees, one in music and then one in Homeland Security. Please welcome to the show, Joe Mobley. Thanks for being here. Hey, Dee. How are you? Fantastic. Thank you for asking. Fantastic. How are you, my friend? I'm doing just fine. Yeah, doing great. So we are we are four months into the new year. Um, your episode will air at the end of, of May. Um but that being said, how has 2021 been for you so far this year? Good. Um, honestly, great. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Uh, and then I, I try not to say this all the time, but 2020 wasn't so bad for us. Either. Oh, good. Uh, yeah. We, we went through the phases of COVID. Yeah, we were wiping down our groceries and stuff mm-hmm. and, uh, at one point. Um, but, you know, since leaving the Army, I got out uh, December 2019 we paid off the last of our debt. We moved back to where family was after being, you know, 1500 miles away for many mm-hmm. years. Uh, so good. Yeah. That's <laughs> good. Complain. That's good. That's good. That feels great. It's, I, I think one of my favorite parts of interacting with people that have experienced life in COVID is the vast adventures that people have had. I mean, the experience, has been varied to incredible degrees. Like some people like really had a hard go of it and other people were completely unfazed. I know somebody who that their life has been um, like their job has been virtual for like the last 10 years. So they were like, I didn't know. I work out in my building, in the gym, in my building and I go to work in my house. So, I mean, the only thing that I didn't do was go to the grocery store. So yeah, it's, it's, it's been a trip, but I'm glad to hear that, you know, it 2020 wasn't super bad for you. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, some of the stuff was, we had never tried Instacart and now, um, as, as a dad of three kids under six with the fourth on the way, Instacart, we just use it now. We are going to use it period. (laughs) (laughs) And wow, yeah. my wife and I both work from home and even barring COVID, my, my current role is remote. I, okay. I work from home as well. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Right on. Well, congratulations on uh, baby number four. Right on. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Is it, is it the way that Jim Gaffigan suggests having a fourth baby? <laughs> like you're like treading water and then someone hands you a baby. Is that what it's like? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know yet. I'm, no. uh, he's hilarious, but... <laughs> we'll see they're good kids oh that's good to hear that's good to hear uh right on so let's um let's talk about the decision uh you're in college and uh very stressful uh tell us a little bit about that yeah i'm uh so funnily enough i um uh become a christian college time is coming and I'm making another one of those decisions where it's like, this is counter what the typical teen would be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had music scholarships. I could have gotten a full ride at universities, um, at state schools. Um, 
I can't I can't think of one in Virginia, but thinking like UNCG mm-hmm. uh, down in Greensboro, uh, Baylor out in Texas to you know to study music to get mm. paid while I go to school instead of getting wow. student loans. And I'm thinking about all this stuff, and I'm just like, this is such a crucial time that I and I say to um, this couple Chip and Tracy, I don't know what's going to happen. Who's going to come out the other end after four years? I've just gone to some random state school, no safety net, no support structure or anything. The things that I wanted to hold on to yeah. uh, in Virginia Beach. Um, and they're like, oh, you got to go to a Christian school. And I'm like, I don't even, I just became a Christian. I'm yeah. like, they have universities for Christians. <laughs> um, and they they told me about some of the ones that I would say are the lame ones. But they're mm. like, the best one is right down the road. It's in Lynchburg. It's called Liberty. Uh, and, you know, some of the guys in their youth group went there. Um, one in particular, my old roommate, Jacob, uh, and they're like, yeah, let's sign you. So they signed me up for this college for a weekend, CFAW thing that they have, mm-hmm. take me out there. Uh, yeah, I got punched in the gut by Jerry Falwell uh, summer before he passed. Hmm. And uh, I'm like, all right, well, I guess I'm doing this thing. And oh. well, I signed, I applied and ended up paying for school instead of having school paid for to go to a Christian private school that I had just heard of. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) So, um, my high school girlfriend at the time, her and her best friend and her best friend's boyfriend had already applied. So it turned out that a bunch of my, my core group of friends was going to Liberty, which I had never heard of. Um, wow. Yeah. I mean, I knew they were Christians. I just didn't know that there was like this cool Christian school club or whatever. (laughs) Uh, so yeah, I went to Liberty. Um, okay. But man, I'll tell you between my freshman year and sophomore year, just the craziest things happened. My, my grandma was deathly ill. Uh, one of my roommates died in a, in a terrible car accident. Wow. Uh, yeah. And all of my plans were just, I was definitely, it was a time in my life where I was doing things in my own strength, which obviously at this point in the conversation, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm an evangelical Christian, so I, I don't right. think that my own strength is sufficient. Mm-hmm. Uh, but man, when I was a young man and I'm still a young man, okay. <laughs> when, when I was a younger man, yeah. I definitely, I tried to just do everything the hard way. You know, yeah. I was going to push a square peg in a round hole. Um, and it just, more and more weight got put on me like you know what are you gonna do if you're you know this grandma all grandparents are important but this grandma was like pivotal to me Mm. uh and and my upbringing and uh what are you gonna do if this falls apart and now your roommate dies just randomly it was was one of those 9-11 moments like i remember what i was doing where i was and what i was wearing the moment that i heard uh that he died and I was going to do an internship and I decided to drop out of the internship at the last minute. Um, and that internship is run by a guy named Glenn Ransom, who has a company called Bible and Stories, uh, which is an amazing company. Definitely highly recommend you guys Google that. Mm-hmm. But um, I backed out the last moment and Glenn, you know, he had invested money in me and he has a sales school and whatnot. Mm. Um, my girlfriend at the time was going to do the internship and you know, just to put it frank, and I haven't mentioned her name, but she was upset. She was upset that I was dropping out. I was sure. dropping out of an internship to go home and and be bedside with my dying grandma yeah. and read the Bible to her. It's like, yeah. who, the, who the heck gets upset about this? <laughs> uh, so I say all this to Glenn, and Glenn says, 
not only do you have to go home, but you cannot go on the internship. Like I won't allow you to go on. Like, this is what you're dealing with. (laughs) Um, okay. Yeah. But everything that I tried to do back home, I felt like with my grandma was a bust. My relationship with my girlfriend disintegrated. Mm. Uh, and yeah, things were getting super weighty for me. Um, so when I got back to school, I don't even remember that I had decided this, but I guess sometime between, so band camp starts in August, early August, and I guess college starts late August, early September. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometime between when school started, and I'd be interested to know other people who have dealt with uh, suicidal tendencies, what it was like for them, mm-hmm. but sometime between the student body getting back together in early September and mid-October, I had I didn't do rehearsals or anything, but I had decided I'm just gonna kill myself. Uh, I didn't plan. I didn't write. I didn't do any of the stuff. I wasn't giving away stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I've since become a, a suicide interventionist. Oh, good. Um, so I didn't do any of that. The stuff, you know, okay. people truly, truly would be like, I had no idea. I was very talented. I was very social. Mm-hmm. Um, I got good grades. I was a very good musician. Mm-hmm. I, it would have been shock factor 5,000. Yeah. Um, and it was almost like, I think I probably thought of it two or three times walking from my dorm. I had to cross a bridge to get to the main campus. And one night I'm just walking back and I was just like, I sit on the edge of the bridge. Um, and this bridge is over 460 if anyone's familiar with, uh, central Virginia. Um, but I just realized that I start thinking because it's a truck route. So I start thinking, man, what if I just because they won't be able to see me? What if I just jump off of this thing when a truck is coming just to double down, you know, yeah. not just the height of the bridge, but the <laughs> truck. Wow. Uh, and through total random happenstance, I didn't get reasoned out of it. Um, I didn't chicken out. I'm just like waiting for, you know, waiting to see a couple of sets of lights. I want their, you know, to be like two trucks because you know you're jumping off a bridge you don't know what's gonna happen right yeah um and a random police officer happens by drives by sees me sitting on the edge of this bridge you know and i know that he now i know that he knew what was going on sure and he didn't come up and tase me he didn't come up and pull me down um you know this is an lupd officer from liberty and he's he chatted with me for just a couple not even a couple minutes maybe like a minute didn't ask me my name when I was doing. He just said, "Hey, made some small talk." I think he asked. I think he did ask what I was doing. I said, "You know, just hanging around, clearing my head, getting ready to go to my dorm." And when he was leaving, because then he's like, "You know, all right, I'm going back about my business." Mm-hmm. He said something to the effect of, "You know, you seem like a really cool kid. Um, I hope I get to talk to you again sometime," and just drove off. Huh. And I got off the bridge and went to my dorm. And um, since then, I've not had, I've dissected what happened there, uh, but I haven't had any suicidal thoughts since that time. Uh, and I can't explain his deal. You know, I can't explain. He, he drove up, he knew, come on, you know, now yeah. thinking back, you see an 18, 19 year old kid at late at night sitting on the, the edge of a bridge. Yeah. Um, and he just said a couple words, you know, said he hoped that he could chat with me later. And I've never seen or heard from this LUPD <laughs> officer again. Um, a few of them are mentors of mine, but uh, 
not that one i couldn't pick this guy out of a lineup wow <laughs> you know, like was he even real wow. was he was he like an imposter right just pretending dodge <laughs> yeah wow yeah. okay yeah but that's that's how that went down okay so to clarify the first decision was uh choosing to become emancipated so you can stay in school in Virginia and not move to North Jersey with your folks. The second decision was whether or not to jump. And the, that decision was derailed by a 60 second conversation per chance by a police officer that drove. Did he get out of the car? Did he like roll down the window? No, just call out down to the you? window. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. Okay. This is wild. <laughs> All right. Wow. And okay. now knowing what I know now, mm-hmm. you can't talk someone out of it who's made up their mind. So I don't know, you know, mm-hmm. maybe maybe he was pulling the pattern interrupt card, which is a card that you can play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that, that's what happened. Yeah. Wow. OK, so um, to better understand your headspace in that moment. Uh, it, like in the, the days or weeks leading up to that, uh, had your grandma passed or was she still alive? She was just ill. She was still alive. She actually lived for uh, several more years um, and she passed in 2016. Um, and I attended undergrad. Uh, I squeezed four in the five. So 2007 to 2012. Okay. Um, you know, I'm a planner. I'm mm-hmm. the what I'm a one on the Instagram and whatever of the stupid animals that like lion, otter, whatever. <laughs> I, I, I'm the rare one of those. Yeah. My Clifton for or my Clifton Fords, my Clifton <laughs> Strengths Assessment mm. ideation is my top one. Mm. Like, so I'm I'm a planner. I I like for things to be neat and orderly. Mm-hmm. Um. So I'm aware that. I'm not in control, especially now Okay. Um, with all these kids and whatnot. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I have yeah. authority, but I'm not in complete control. Mm-hmm. Um, but just the plan that I had for my life for how school was going to go for how it work and, and relationships and all of these things. Um, my family is not a Christian family. So I was, I was making, um, my family, the first mission field, I, I wanted to mm. to kind of evangelize on the home front and sure. do some retroactive uh, family work there. Yeah. Um, and there was a time clock with my grandma. And mm. sitting there, like reading to her, it just felt so useless. It felt like it was all to no avail. Mm. Um, and she was at the point, at this point, she could hardly communicate. She could, um, she had a pad that had like, yes, no, some items on it. Um, there was a keyboard on one of them, but she was past the point where she could, uh, use that. So really all she could do, um, she was completely unambulatory. She had, um, which I didn't realize was a staged thing, but Parkinson's is in stages and she had the most severe stage of Parkinson's and she had, uh, several other things. So she was, bedridden completely unambulatory and unable to communicate for maybe her last decade um shoot yeah so 
Yeah, like it, it was rough. I remember one time, uh, like this was like my grandma when I'm again, I'm like eight or nine. This must have been about the time I swore off of church. <laughs> um, she had worked at a uh, was it a department store? No, it was like a grocery store or something. Um, she was pretty wealthy. My grandpa had already passed and, and he was pretty wealthy, but she had like these boxes of candy. She had a box of Snickers, mm. um, like the kind that's like at Walmart, like the actual whole box of them. Mm-hmm. And I'm getting ready to leave my grandma's house and I stuff Snickers up my winter coat sleeves. <laughs> like I'm walking out stacked from wrist to armpit with Snickers on both arms. So I got my arms like T-Rexed, like bent at the <laughs> elbow. I'm like going out looking like, you know, yeah. totally situationally aware. Mm-hmm. Um, and I come upstairs from the basement where the Snickers are. And I'm like, all right, you know, family's ready to go. Let's get in the car. Come on, let's go. Bye. And I'm going to drive back from, you know, fr- from Nassau County or from Central Islip to Nassau County, which is like almost half the island with mm. Snickers all up my winter coat. Like, yeah. this was nuts. Yeah. Um, and she's like, hey, you know, what are, what are you doing? You're not going to hug me goodbye. And I'm like, oh, of course, I'm going to hug my grandma. And I go and I hug her and the Snickers fall out. Oh, no. <laughs> on the ground. Boom. <laughs> It's like, you know, uh, Quentin Tarantino couldn't have directed this any better. And I'm just like oh. a deer in the headlight. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and she comes down to my level and, you know, she's not yelling and screaming. She's like, she knows that I'm stealing candy bars. Mm-hmm. So just like the police officer, she doesn't even address that. She's like, we know. Everyone here knows. Yeah. But she says, you know. Uh, my family calls me Joey. Mm. She says, Joey, don't you know that I love you? And I'm like, you know, at this point, I'm like, get ready to bust out crying. I'm like, yeah. oh, I'm a little kid. My grandma's got this is hands in the cookie jar, but it's yeah. Snickers. And I'm like, yeah, I know you love me. And she said, she's like, what do you think the candy bars are for? And I, I give the I don't know answer. And she says, they're for you. They're for the grandkids. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, I, I don't want it to be a situation where you think you have to lie. Mm-hmm. Uh, or steal from me, you know. So she's working in the morality and ethics like a, a good grandma does. Um, but what I remember when I think of that story, I always remember I'm caught red-handed stealing, and her message is, you know, don't you know that I love you? Like mm-hmm. that sounds like something I've read in a book somewhere. Sure, yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, yeah. So this is that woman when she's not able to be that grandma, not able to do any of that stuff. Hmm. Um, you know, obviously not able to great grandmother, my kids and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that plan's like going down the tubes. I'm, I'm always thinking my kids are going to have an awesome great grandma, uh, which all of my grandparents are deceased now. Hmm. Um, you know, the girl that I was dating, our relationship was pretty serious. Um, I'm, also, while I'm back home, I was supposed to make a lot of money on this internship. So I'm back home. I'm like, I'm going to bust it. I've got to be working like 50 hours a week. Um, yeah. I started working at Walgreens. Uh, I was one of the new managers, first hires. And we completely redid the store. Like he was giving me all the overtime that I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just like, hey, college kid, here to work. Uh, part of that work was for I, I bought an engagement ring for the girlfriend who broke up with me like oh, summer. Yes. Uh, and dude, she broke up with me. You can't make this up. She legitimately wanted she wanted to go on a date with now on a lot of people just cheated. Yeah. She wanted to go on a date with some other dude. 
right. we knew from the sales school, okay, um, from Bible and Stories, and he went on the internship. And uh, yeah, so he turned out to be a douche. But okay. she found out. They went on one date. He made it. He's like a trust fund kid. Okay, uh, and I knew like this is not your bag. Like this isn't going to work out for you. So they go on the one date. He's to make a douche like everyone knew except for her. Right. Um, and so here I am. Grandma's dying. I, I'm at home. I got this engagement ring now. It was 2,500 bucks, which also means <laughs> that I have to buy a more expensive ring for the woman who's going to be my actual wife. Right. And baby, if you're listening, yours costs a lot more. <laughs> uh, she'll probably listen to this. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so and i didn't do anything stupid like people go and throw the ring no oh. you return that don't yeah. be a dummy get your money back for sure 100 <laughs> percent. yeah yeah um so but i'm actually thinking about returning so she she's in tennessee i'm in jersey and you know she's like hey i think i made a mistake blah blah blah, blah. i think we should get back together uh so we go back to school and now our relationship is like on and off sure which is nuts like i yeah. did not want to be in that space but it came down to uh i couldn't trust her yeah uh at that point and this is interesting talk about white lies so mm. i have a lot of respect for this woman uh she's she's a really nice girl um and i never have anything bad to say to her about her so much so that i made up a story about because everyone knew we broke up and then we got back together but then when we broke up for real for for good mm -hmm. um it was very one-sided it was you know me telling her it's not now it's not ever like sure. we're, we're done we can't be friends blah 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 yeah um so all of our classes were the same all of our friends were the same so everyone was very aware that joe has completely written her off and mm. this is not something that can be reconciled so they're like what the heck happened so to to protect how much of a good friend she was and mm. and she is a good person i made up a story about the breakup being amicable and not being about uh so like our friends and stuff mm -hmm. we didn't talk about what went down with this other guy their one date oh no wow <laughs> yeah um and i because i i had made it clear that i was going to be uh in the military okay and she was cool with that uh her mom was a single mom in the navy um yeah. and so for so long i had said she realized that she didn't want to be a military spouse which sure. is honorable and yeah and a mature thing to realize you know yeah you, you get married and get divorced yeah that's not true <laughs> that's not what happened wow wow uh, okay well that was that was very sweet of you to to protect yeah. that notion of her um yeah but then she the next guy she dated was a marine lol okay <laughs> i didn't know when i made up the story okay <laughs> okay yeah all right she's well, married to an accountant here's here here's a question um so you mentioned how like all of your different personality types uh describe you as someone that uh is a planner you like to be in control uh i'm i'm curious Looking back on this, do you think part of your motivation to create this story uh, for why you guys broke up was to to not necessarily have to relinquish control of that situation? Um, and, and insofar as and so this is something that I have encountered with people where 
um, they will, if they're struggling with someone or with something, they're like, oh, no, I don't want to talk about this because I don't want you to see them in a poor light, you know? And the way that I always um, bring, like, discuss that with them is like, no, no, don't, don't, don't save me. Don't save me from them. Please, please don't save me from them. Let, let whatever's going to happen, happen and let me, you know, decide for myself how, how I feel. Do you think it, that played any part of it? Or were you really just trying to, do you think it was all, and no, I just want, I want to protect this image of her amongst my friend group. No, you nailed it. Um, and it, the way that you described it is completely accurate. Okay. Uh, people are really annoyed with, um, can't think of his name. He played the most recent Sherlock Holmes in uh, the BBC Benedict thing. Cumberbatch. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. People are really annoyed with his character, the, the way that he did um Sherlock uh kind of wild intellect meets pompous <laughs> I guess yeah. uh, I, I'm a high percentage hitter with human behavior I okay you know I've fought human trafficking for a number of years there's practically nothing I haven't seen or done mm-hmm. um yeah so part of it was you know, making sure that she still had a good name, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Uh, but definitely there's that desire to be in control of the situation, like full on, you know, editor in a newsroom type mm-hmm. thing, crafting, right. you know, because, and again, trying to control how this is perceived by our peer group, which mm-hmm. we're still friends with these friends today. Yeah. Um, and yeah, <laughs> so definitely. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You're like spot on. The way that I heard you talking about the the frust I'm I'm guessing there was a measure of frustration um in you. There's that turmoil in your heart because you're desperately trying to bring the message of Christ to your grandmother and I'm you're not getting through in a way that makes you feel confident that she is able to hear you, understand you, and then, you know, repent and believe, right? And so I'm, I'm guessing there's a measure of frustration in that, that you weren't able to, quote unquote, to save your grandma, right? Or to bring that so that she might, you know, find salvation in Christ. Compounded is dealing with this, um, this girlfriend that you have where it, there was a breakdown, uh, because you were trying to tend to your grandmother because you desperately wanted for her soul to experience, you know, life everlasting. Um, there's that that breakdown there. Um, and then coming back on and off. And I'm guessing it was before before you guys broke up, you had that moment on the bridge, right? No, this was this was actually after. There was that. Okay. So then, yeah. yeah so then there, it, it, looking at it uh, based on the things that you're saying and the way you describe yourself, uh, it looks as though there's this this uh, uh, desire for control and you're losing grip on that in these really important areas. Right. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So then yeah. Let's... And there's, there's, you know, there's some more poop to pile on. Sure. Uh, the, the loss of Mark, Mark uh, Gench's photo is here. I actually have a sock of his that we mix laundry and I'm like, Oh, I'll give it to him later forever and ever and ever. And then he died. Uh, uh-huh. So I asked his parents if I could keep that sock. Uh, I'm also one of the only Liberty University students to have gotten into a fistfight on campus with a student <laughs> in a student leadership class because we were both spiritual leaders at the university. Nice. Um, 
and it, it was the guy that she went on the date with. Uh, okay. uh, now, this is, I don't want to distract the listeners. I'll just throw this grenade in. Yeah, yeah. One, I don't think that the United States is institutionally racist, was it? Of course. Um, you know, I've got the Constitution, the Declaration here on the wall mm -hmm. and, and behind me that they can't see, but you can see. Right. Um, are they racist people? Of course. Was this guy one? Probably, because uh, she was white and, and he was white. I'm obviously black, as you can right. see. Um, yeah. So this guy, I won't say his name if I have earlier apologies no no, I, no i didn't say yeah, his, his last name yeah no his name hasn't come up as far as i can tell we're in we're prayer leaders um actually was he a prayer leader he might have been a different kind of um spiritual leader at the school but we're in where the spiritual leadership of the school the university meets and has classes you know reading discipleship books talking about struggles that we're having with the men or the women that that we're kind of shepherding over mm -hmm. um so we're like we're we're supposed to be the role models yeah <laughs> you know and you know chris deitch who is the director of this whole thing is in there leading mm -hmm. this class and we're having a tables do we're having a tables do little group activities okay uh two four three eight to a table kind of like those slate science tables that mm -hmm. push together and he's not at my table we're almost we're like back to back kind of catted cornered but there's this crosstalk he's like throwing. This is like a trust fund kid, mm -hmm. very wealthy white dude. He's got sure. a blazer with like the gold or brass buttons. Of course. Like, and who wears that to yeah. college? Anyway. <laughs> so, you know, he went on the internship, crushed it. Okay. Excellent, like excellent salesmanship, mm -hmm. you know. I hope, you know, probably a good guy. Hope he turned out and have a great life. Don't sure. keep up with this guy. Yeah. He in the crosstalk back forth, back forth, and we're at separate tables with separate little group conversations, and everyone around is kind of disgusted with him because of these shots that he's taking. Mm -hmm. But he finishes with, You didn't deserve her because you're black. <gasps> oh no. And <laughs> the very next thing I knew, again, it was another one of those I kind of came outside myself and yeah. I'm seeing my body in action and I've always been physically, you know, tough or whatever, but like seated, I grab hold of him by like I spin around and grab him by his shirt and pick him up and slam him on the table. Mm -hmm. And then I beat the crap out of him. Yeah. I'm like holding and punching him <laughs> in front of everyone. Uh, it was it was embarrassing. It was a full kind of rage yeah. moment. Wow. Uh, which is automatic expulsion at Liberty University. Sure. Uh, and and Chris Deitch actually went to bat for me because I immediately we are hauled into it's in the building. We're hauled off to the, yeah. the dean's office, which is like outside the classroom. Yeah. And he's kind of in disbelief. And I say what happened, you know, and the, the other kids kind of just sitting there and he's when I describe it like I just did, he's mm -hmm. in disbelief, like no way. And he looks over at Chris Deitch and I look over at Chris Deitch and he's like looking at the floor and he looks up at the dean and goes, that's exactly what happened. He, he shook his head up and down and they worked out some kind of deal for me where I got reprimands and I got sure. this and I got that um, community service or whatever. I was supposed to be kicked out of school. Yeah. This whole thing is up in the air. So I'm dealing with grandma. I'm dealing with oh, now this guy. And gotcha. I'm going to get kicked out of school. Yeah. 
because some racist prick. Oh no! Made, <laughs> you know, was it my fault? Yeah, it was my fault that I did what I did. Yeah. Uh, but now I like to believe that that was a low point for. I almost said his name again. I like to believe that was a low point for him. Sure. And he was just trying because we had never had anything like that. We knew each other. Uh, and he was just trying to get under my skin. And yeah. I'll tell you what, that did it. Yeah, he did it. Okay. <laughs> anyway, right. so that was the crap show. That was my life leading okay. to the bridge. <laughs> wow. Okay. All right. So let's unpack um, Joe. Uh, what year of school were you in at this point? sophomore just just returned from my sophomore year okay so just like uh, in high school uh, in between sophomore junior year important things happen in yeah. the, the middle ground i'm into it okay so sophomore of uh college okay and then you said you were working for the so the job you had was at walgreens right you were uh, a new manager at Walgreens, like GM or assistant that, manager. That was that was my summer job, and now I, I was like the the manager's aide. <laughs> oh, manager's aide. Okay. Okay. So just so just during the summer when you weren't in school and and music, you were at Walgreens. Did you have a job while you were in school? Yeah, I, I was always working. Um, yeah, so okay. I can't remember at that particular point, but I worked. Uh, worked in the coffee shop at the university. I worked in the university's library and, and I worked here and there and, and okay. everywhere else. All right. Okay. So you, but you were always working. Was it, did you always have a job because of the time you spent emancipated where you felt like you needed to uh, make sure you were constantly earning your keep while in school? I mean, because to be a, like you're in music, in the music program and you're studying and you're trying to find time to fit in, uh, work, was it motivated by any of that or do you just like to be busy? Um, I think it was probably my parents doing, uh, okay. like Larry Elder's dad, my parents were both hard work wins people, hmm. um, no matter what. <laughs> so probably just, <laughs> you know, my parents were still kind of financially supporting me, you know, in, yeah, okay. in college. Uh, probably just just to be in the habit of working okay okay um how's about what kind of music were you into so we know that you you played music eventually you were uh, a professional mu musician for a while what music were you listening to in your downtime while you were um <laughs> I just made this connection live, um, but probably the most influential music to me in my life at that point in high school and college uh, was written by an artist who committed suicide, uh, huh. or at least that's what's widely believed. I you know, don't want to get into that, but okay. we'll just say committed suicide. Uh, but Linkin Park, Linkin Park was my, mm. uh, my go-to. Their first album, Number Nine, was my favorite song, Place for My Head. Uh, still is to listen to it the other day. Well, it's yeah. one of my favorite songs. Uh, okay. it's, it's been supplanted by some other things. Um, but their first album, I think it was called hybrid theory was mm -hmm. really good. Uh, yeah. really meaningful, uh, music about them dealing with some of the struggles that they were dealing with. And a yeah. common thread there, um, was the human trafficking angle. Uh, mm -hmm. they, uh, were involved in 
trying to bring that to the light on the international stage, but especially here in the U.S. Um, I came up listening to everything jazz. You know, I'd heard all of Miles Davis and Sade and mm. name your, you oh, know, Sade, man. famous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so my parent, I think my dad and my sister went to see her in Madison Square Garden nice. uh, a little while ago. And she's just timeless. She looks the same. Yeah. You know, uh, Are you, and, were, were you ever a fan of Max Roach? No. <gasps> Are you, are you familiar? Are you familiar with him? No. Though? Okay. So, ring a bell. so Max Roach is like one of the fathers of jazz fusion, right? Very popular. Oh, 50s and 60s. I just got in the fusion. Oh, so this is, I'll, this, I'll be looking this up. So he's one of the dudes responsible, right? And so he has this, there's this, uh, uh, this video, if I can find it, I'll send it to you, uh, of him on YouTube playing literally just a hi-hat. Okay, but he plays up and down the whole hi-hat. He's like creating grooves on the stem, smacking the hats, doing things with his feet. It's it's incredible. So I saw him perform uh, at a jazz club in Chicago um, and this dude was playing with his elbows. He was like keeping time and uh, it's like one of those things where you're in a room with someone who's so profoundly good at their craft that like the air in the room changes. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah. So I, I got to see him perform. Yeah. If you're getting into jazz fusion, you're going to, if you don't directly listen to him, you will hundred percent listen to his influence. Cause yeah, he's like one of the dudes. That I probably have, I'm, I'm on Alex Argento's uh, trio right now, nice. which is like, it's nuts. It's like halo on crack. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Okay. Yeah. But on as far as mindset goes, mm -hmm. music, I was a terrible friend. <laughs> I blew <laughs> off I blew off meals with friends, with mm -hmm. girlfriends. I blew off almost anything. I would uh I can't get in trouble now. I would sneak out of my dorm. Other people would sneak out to do bad stuff. Right. I would sneak out to go practice. <laughs> um so I I was a little I was headed into toxic musician land. Hmm. Uh back then okay uh and my my best friend in college uh who was uh not best man he was groom number one i guess okay. <laughs> at my wedding <laughs> you know i had to apologize to him one day i'm like man I, i'm a terrible friend I, I blow off everyone and i blow <laughs> off this and that and the other thing mm -hmm. for a little more time on the horn <laughs> yeah uh wow yeah okay so, okay Put a little bit of that in there. Make sure I got Sade down. All right. Uh, did you have um, did you have any hobbies? Like, let alone time for hobbies. But did you did you have hobbies at the time? Uh, I went through a Rubik's cube phase um, early okay. college. There was a kid, Jason Balm. I uh, he we he was, I think he was the percussion captain in Liberty's Drumline. Um, he was one of those record holders. You know. Really. Yeah, he was one of those guys, blindfolded, single hand, two hand. Um, and I can't, I'm trying to think of his time. It's trivial. It doesn't matter anyway. Right. Um, but so there were a lot of people that were into the cube back then. Okay. Um, I was a little bit of a skater boy. Uh, so. Nice. So uh, man, it's been so long. What was the guy's name? My favorite skateboarder was a guy he did unconventional tricks he's on the tony hawk games um he does tricks where you're stationary 
um is it uh mullen i can't remember his name this is crazy uh <laughs> strangely enough like mm-hmm. <laughs> the one black guy cream campbell i can remember him yeah sure uh people hate him but bam yeah. margero is actually he was very talented on yeah. the board yeah. um what was this guy's name i'll never forget uh or i'll never remember yeah as, um, as soon as as soon as we hang up for the day you'll be like yeah. oh obviously it was okay. it was jamie something i okay. got that far all right as far as family goes uh you're an only child or do you have siblings i got a bunch of siblings oh yeah okay uh yeah blended family um so there's six of us okay are they and uh I'm the baby. you're the baby interesting yeah. okay so we're how far how far removed um are you guys from each other um de- pretty decent um we would only live together like twos and threes at a time um, my oldest siblings i've never lived with them okay which is funny because we're all friends now mm-hmm. um but growing up we didn't know each other much sure. um so wait a minute yeah yeah six <laughs> yeah it's like make sure i didn't forget somebody yeah. there um yeah but some of our paths ended up kind of the same uh okay. lots of military or military spouses lots okay. of music um lots of artistry just yeah i, I guess it's i guess it's in our genes or something yeah. uh okay yeah Okay, so at the time, what was your projection? Okay, and this is like, what were you practically preparing yourself for in life? Now, you had mentioned that you had told your girlfriend that you wanted to join the military. Um, Was that something at the time that you were focused on? I'm going to get through school. I'm going to practice all the music I can. I'm going to join the military. Is Is that where you were at the time? Yeah, I was, I had two paths. I was going to be um, a trombonist in one of the military's premier bands, which they call special bands. They're all in D.C. Mm-hmm. Um, so the president's own is is the highest one. It's the United States Marine Band, um, mm-hmm. the Pershing Zone. And these guys and gals are world-class musicians. They're, they're incredible. Some of them, you know, we snag from other countries' orchestras. Wow. Um that was the dream i'd gone and seen them play i'd played with some of them and uh my high school band director the whole i always wanted to be in the military i didn't know what the job was going to be okay my high school band director was a retired or um maybe he just got out um but he was a naval trombonist uh down in virginia beach Mm -hmm. and he was the one that was kind of like, Hey kid, you're, you're kind of good at this horn. Uh, I started playing trombone because I was trying to impress a girl. That's the constant theme. Yeah. I'm in middle school. (laughs) I was on violin for like two or three weeks. I was like, this instrument sucks. I hate playing it. I quit. Yeah. And now it's time to look for a new instrument Mm -hmm. and it's trombone. Wow. uh, Because, because of a pretty girl. (laughs) I love Um, that. Yeah, but I was I was going to do that. And if that didn't work out, then I was just going to be in one of the regular orchestras, uh, which I had uh, applied. I had auditioned for some, mm-hmm. uh, advanced through some. I won an audition down in Louisiana, but I would have had to drop out of school. And, okay. Um, so, and I, I also would have considered being a pit musician for like Broadway or off Broadway. Oh, okay. Because um, that, that music is really uh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
steady job too. Yeah, right we on. got to see shows for free. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. So you, it was it was either the military or to be um, a musician in an orchestra. Yeah. Okay. Alrighty. Now, how's about what your hopes and dreams were? Now, this is you. You're preparing for a life in the military or a life as a musician. What were the hopes and dreams that you had that, you know, they, they, they live in the clouds. These are, these are the, where the fairies are. What, what were those aspirations? So Liberty has what they call BHAGs, big, hairy, audacious goals. Uh, and I've heard it from others. Jerry Falwell, I think John Maxwell mm-hmm. also pitched BHAGs. Um, so this is my business plan. Okay. It actually wasn't either or, it was both. I was going to be in the military's bands and I was going to be uh, do that for maybe a decade, maybe two, mm-hmm. uh, retire, you know, what are you, 40 years old and you're retiring, mm-hmm. um, and then do some orchestra stuff. But what I actually was doing, if I knew the money would be there, if I knew the market would be there, the interest, if I knew I couldn't fail, yeah. uh, that whole time I would have been making contacts and recruiting uh, people that I could call on for uh, wind ensemble music is really cool. There's a lot of good, it's band. It's, it's not an orchestra. It's just a band. Mm-hmm. Eric Whitaker writes really good music um, for wind ensemble. Uh, right now thinking October thinking uh, Luke's room Godzilla eats Las Vegas, mm-hmm. uh, which sounds crazy, but it's a cool piece. Nice. Um, but there isn't a professional market for it. There are like two. There's, okay. uh, there's a wind ensemble in Tokyo and there's the Dallas winds and my friend, that is it. Oh, wow. Um, okay. If you wanted to get dressed up or go to jazz club, opera, symphony, all of that stuff's available. Um, but you top out in college, uh, hmm. military bands aren't quite wind ensembles. The, the mission makes an impact on the type of music they can play. Sure. But at this point, there's a whole repertoire for bands High school bands suck. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. They're, they're not good. Yeah. Um, they do amazing stuff for what they have. And those musicians are young and developing. And mm-hmm. um, some college bands are really good. And when I was in college, I was fortunate enough to be a part of uh, what they call intercollegiate bands, uh, which they, they pluck some of the best musicians from around, bring them together, and they record new music that hasn't been released yet. So mm-hmm. I got to record... Yeah, I was in that band, I think, twice, and I, I ended up quitting band for choir, which is a long story. We, we don't have time to get into. <laughs> um, okay. But, man, being in those intercollegiate bands and, and meeting all of these musicians around, I'm like, people would listen to this wind ensemble music. The college concerts are packed. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's no idiom for it outside of college. And right. it's, it's kind of nuts. So I was going to use all the networking from my military bands and orchestra world to pluck people to say, Hey, I'm going to buy a building, um, a, a rehearsal building, okay. uh, an office building, and we are going to make a professional wind ensemble. And we just need to get plugged in with some concert venues and off to the races. Yeah. Uh, because, the special bands do record albums yeah. uh, that are for sale. Yeah. Um, but even that, their their wind ensemble music that they record is excellent. The recordings are flawless and and very well executed. Um, but it's not quite the same because they're they're military bands, right? 
it's not the New York Phil or Chicago Symphony or something. Right. Uh, but that was the BHAG. And okay. uh, people, some people thought I was crazy. I shared it publicly. Mm -hmm. uh, some people in college were like, that is cool. Like, if I'm good enough, sign me up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Right. And I still, if I woke up tomorrow and I was like Mark Cuban or something and I just had money for days, I'd probably fund it. Sure. I'm not going to play in that anymore. Maybe okay. be a guest conductor. Okay. Uh, but yeah, man, if I hit the lottery, which I can't because I don't play it, I would make, <laughs> I would still make a professional wind ensemble. Okay. I think that could be really cool. All right. That's, that's a great lofty. I like that. Um, last question. Do you have any quirks? Um, I I don't actually have any quirks like that. I had one okay. from childhood until middle of college. If anyone burped ever, mm -hmm. um, it would make like my mouth and lips feel or taste weird or something. So I had to wipe my mouth. If someone else burped, if I had to wipe my else? mouth. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, pull out uh, a napkin or something or use the end of a sleeve. Um, and people would like, you know, so some of the guys would be like, burr, 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 just all over just, the place. Oh my and I'd gosh. wipe my mouth. Uh, and I stopped. I can't tell you why. I just went just, away one day and wow. I realized, um, yeah, I'm a hyper vigilant person. So when I see videos of myself, I'm at home now. Okay. If I'm outside of these four walls, I am doing regular scans for threats, uh, sure. even in innocuous situations. So yeah. if you were, Recording me, I saw myself on the news in the background of someone else's interview. Really? Doing threat scans like every <laughs> 20 or 30 seconds. Wow. Okay. Uh, so I guess you could say that's a quirk. Sure. And okay. I do, I think I have hyperhidrosis. I sweat profusely. Mm -hmm. But, and you can ask my wife, um, through some miracle, thank the Lord above, I don't smell bad. Oh, that's um, good. My, my, my sweat only smells bad if it's like, athletically induced like okay. i'm doing jujitsu or baseball or something um otherwise my feet don't sweat and my feet never stink but my whole body sweats all like i'm sweating through the shirt right now i'm sitting here talking to you wow this light's a cool light there's no heat coming off of it yeah um so i change actually no that's a quirk i change shirts two or three times a day okay because uh, i sweat through them okay yeah that's totally a quirk yeah yeah i got quirks okay <laughs> Yeah. But man, that. I'm so glad it doesn't smell. My my wife is too. Otherwise, sure. I have a pile of sweaty, nasty yeah. clothes. Oh, that's so funny. All right, I think I think we're at a good place to to wind this portion of the show down. Uh, we'll take a quick break. I'm gonna go ahead and write a story. I think we have a lot of really good information, and uh, I think I'm getting a pretty pretty good picture of kind of like who you were at the time. And so I think this will be good. Now, the way that the show has worked in the past, those of you guys that are listening, I'll directly contradict a decision. I don't necessarily want to throw him off the bridge into those trucks. Um, so we'll explore kind of who he was and then we'll unpack a dis like a break from what took him there. And maybe he'll still experience that same moment of depth. Maybe it's somebody else that says something glib and, he ends up walking away, whatever, but we'll, we'll figure it out. I, but I think this is, this is a, a really well, you'll, you'll have to warn me story. if you, if you make me, uh, if you make me get back with, what is her name? Uh, she is Lily. 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 <laughs> if you yeah. make me get back with Lily, you'll have to warn me. I'll have to prepare my wife. Okay. 
<laughs> for sure. This is just fiction. Yeah, hundred percent. Not real. Not real. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. In my wife's dreams, my girlfriend is some woman named Angela. Angela. Oh, should I use that name just to make it nuts. awkward? <laughs> just to drive her crazy. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. All right, thanks, Dave. Yeah, yeah. All right, so again, take a quick break. We'll come back in just a moment. Enjoy the music while we wait. But for now. Welcome back. Hope you enjoyed that little musical break. Again, I am with my guest, Joe Mobley. If you'd like to find him on the interwebs, look up the joemobleyshow.com. 
if you're a part of the social media um, what is platform, Jeez. if you're part of the social media platform called Locals, you can find him and his show there as well. The Joe Mobley Show dot locals dot com. Uh, the the mission statement of that platform is community. <laughs> Community. That's why it's local community. Uh, Not dating. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, but if you want to, please give a, give us a little bit of a rundown on your show, the Joe Mobley yeah, Show. Uh, well, I've had to change branding a little bit, and I'm new. I launched in uh, November of last year, um, but it, it used to be pretty provocative. It used to be coming out of the conservative closet. Uh, which I still hold to as as being a, a worthy uh, tagline, um, but just to be a little more appropriate, more user friendly, um, and actually less controversial because I didn't want to be controversial. I, I do um, respect and enjoy opinions from every side of every issue, mm-hmm. uh, to include ones that I hold myself. Um, so I changed it to get the confidence you need to face the day, where we're talking about issues, talking about um, from philosophy to political ideologies to just stories that have happened to people um, in a really approachable and conversational manner. I, I don't like it's an interview show. Mm-hmm. don't like for it to be question, answer, question, answer. I, I really enjoy hearing people's stories and how it's informed their mm-hmm. life experience, which, you know, they're, they're other lamer shows if you want to watch people get interrogated. Right. Uh, yeah. So. <laughs> Uh, I, I hope that my show is a place where someone could have like a cocktail and hear some interesting facts and figures, but also hear some cool stories that are relatable, okay. but relatable was already taken. Gotcha. All right. That's fair. Um, do you think with the advent of so many social media platforms and the massive, massive connectivity that we have, do you think more people are engaged in socioeconomic or political conversations now than they were 30 years ago when we were younger? Or do you think it's the same amount? Uh, we're just exposed more to the opinions of those around us. Um, is this like rated G, your show, or PG? <laughs> no, say, say what you need to. Um, I'm not sure about the rate at which people are communicating in the public square, Mm -hmm. Uh, but my opinion on the proliferation of technology and social media is that it's been a huge clusterfuck. Mm. Uh, And I was in the army, so I'm cleared to use that term as a professional. (laughs) Charlie Foxtrot, 100%. And it's, it's because of, like, I'm aware that Twitter wants to show me right wing echo chamber bullcrap. Mm-hmm. And I'm aware that that's happening to people on every side of every issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have uh, I have fake accounts that are signed up for really left wing um, news outlets, and um, and they're all the same. It's weird that they don't like email me about this, but it's Joe. There's a Joe Mobley liberal and a Joe Mobley conservative and a Joe Mobley uh, independent. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I know that they send you different stuff, it's nuts. Yeah. Um, and I've got it three different browsers, three different profiles uh, on on my machine. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, I just think it's been a huge disaster. Uh, it's not taboo anymore. 
talk about politics. So I'd say maybe a little bit more, hmm. but the conversation is mile wide and inch deep. Um, hmm. And that's neither side's fault. Both sides are doing that. Yeah. Both sides yeah. just saying the most ridiculous stuff. All of my opinions are right. I'm like bullcrap. Yeah. Newsflash patriots. There were liberals and conservatives who helped shape and sign these founding documents. It right. wasn't like the freaking GOP here to save the day. Yeah. Like stop that fantasy. Yeah. It's yeah. Like bad patriot porn or something <laughs> like it didn't go down like that right yeah i think it's the 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 democratization of access to each other i think has really i don't know it's, it's given us opportunities to remind ourselves that we're a bunch of idiots um <laughs> you know and that i think a lot of times we're so eager to have someone agree with us that we will adopt ridiculous things just because it's like oh okay i can get on board with that if if you can if you can just affirm me you know sort of thing um and because like we just deal with that on a human level this crazy access that we have to each other and platforms where perfect strangers can like get insights into our thought processes uh really lends itself to this <sighs> very unique and interesting place that we are currently in you know um, oh yeah, so I, I agree. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right on, right, right, right on. Ah, excellent. Okay, that being said, are you ready to transition to your story? Yeah, I've been. I haven't been thinking about it all week, but I've been thinking about it for like the last two days. Like, oh man, I wonder what this story is going to sound like. All right, all right, excellent. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and get into. Other Joe Mobley, other Joe. Mobley. So I say that because uh, I've had a few Joes on the show. So this one is called Other Joe Mobley. So make sure everybody knows what we're getting into. Nice creative name, yeah. Joe. <laughs> uh, other Joe firmly grips his favorite pair of socks in his right hand, his shoes dangling on the fingertips of his left. These socks are dark green. And well-worn they pull up just above his calf and their pilling tells the story of all the days worn washed and worn again he stands to his knees in a possum creek the heavy brush hides him away and hides him from the faint light of the stars overhead the moon is quiet tonight behind intermittent cloud cover it keeps to itself the blue-gray light that blankets the treetops seldomly poking through and reflecting off the water he patiently waits for the clouds to pass. Whenever a ray of light does poke through, it bounces onto him in strips, illuminating him in pieces. Incomplete and unable to see, he waits. The sounds of night hide themselves from him. Even the creek is slow moving tonight. The playground in his mind fills the gap in his ears. You think you understand? You think you get it? You think you're worthy, child? No. There's nothing about you that has earned. Grinding his teeth, he flexes every muscle in his body, pushing through the amalgam of emotion, slowly seething within him. Aloud, he cries out, No! You don't get to tell me these things. You don't get to use her voice. The whispers of his grandmother remind him, Boy, you know we love you. If my heart was an ocean, as it ebbed and flowed, the marks of my love would be shown. 
It would hold you afloat when you swam, and as the waters pulled away from the shore at night, you could see written in the sand beneath all the times I have said your name and told you that I loved you. Stop! You leave her out of this! I did everything I possibly could have, he shouts into the night. The brush alongside the tiny creek begins to shake in the gentle breeze, largely unnoticed. Other Joe slowly climbs out of the creek and dries his feet with his shirt sleeves. He dresses and cuts a swath through the thicket heading back to the road to continue his jog. Beads of sweat race down his back, pooling at the waistband of his shorts. His t-shirt, drenched, sticks firmly to his torso. Back on the path, he races in the darkness. He's run this route a thousand times, each step as familiar as any, any he would take in the daylight. He ambles at a comfortable pace for a time, but the whirlpool within him agitates. His pace quickens. His hands, once floppy, knife through the air as he furiously pumps his arms. His quiet breathing echoes in the night as he grunts through the pain, pushing his sprint for as long as it would take him. Flying down Fallwheel Road, he cuts through the tree line to shortcut his way past docks. He comes to a stop, loudly inhaling and exhaling painfully, his body shaking from the adrenaline coursing through his system. Other Joe takes in a labored breath. His chest pounds like the sounds of a clock, tick-tock, tick-tock. In time, with the swinging of his feet over the edge of Liberty University Drive, he counts to four, in through his nose, out through his mouth. A slow but steady stream of headlights traverse the roadway beneath him. Two at a time they come. Followed by tons and tons of steel and rubber, they tumble along for sixty. He makes up his mind and catches two as far as his eyes would allow him to see. This is the one. As soon as it gets here, I'm jumping. He scoots closer to the edge as the lights approach. One, two, three, four. He scoots his butt off the edge. The moment just before hitting the ground seems to take an eternity. His mind is empty. His mouth is dry, and he struggles to swallow the saliva triggered as droplets of sweat make their way onto his lips. His eyes are open, and there is naught but darkness. His ears are listening, and there is only silence. Even the cries of his heart go unheard. He calls out, Grandma, I love you too. He hits the ground hard, landing on his feet and buckling forward onto his hands. He looks up and the lights before him split. The two motorcycles avoiding him, shouting as they pass, You idiot! Get off the road! He scampers off the road and climbs a grassy embankment and lies down on the cement support. His hands shake. The emotional turmoil within him calms and he deeply and desperately feels everything all at once. Other Joe buries his face in his hands and unleashes muffled screams, choking through tears. I'm useless. I can't even do this right. What am I even doing? You all right, bud? Other Joe quickly sits upright. Two backlit people stand before him. What now? Other Joe asks flippantly, still fighting to keep the tears inside. You you okay? Asks one of the bikers now that narrowly missed him moments ago. We saw you sitting there and thought you might fall, but you jumped. I mean, we're lucky we were on bikes. Otherwise, our consciences might have been weighed down by a decision neither of us made. Yeah, I just was running and I guess I got tired. I stopped to take a break and sat down. I guess I got hypnotized by all the lights and I don't know. You got someone who can come get you or you need a ride somewhere? The tenderness in their voices was unexpected. Caught off guard, other Joe pauses for a moment. I, I can get home by myself. I'm just a few minutes walk from here. All right. Well, I don't feel comfortable just leaving you here. How, how's about we sit down for a minute 
just to make sure you're all right. You good with that? The shorter of the two men, with his helmet still on, bobs his head before lifting the visor and responding. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm good with that. Why don't we just sit here for a minute? It's settled. We'll, sit. we'll just sit. We don't even have to talk. Thanks, Mother Joe says. The two men climb onto the cement t- slab, plop down and sit quietly with Mother Joe. He scans them, looking for anything that might give him a clue as to whether he knows them or they know him. Their jackets have no patches. Their shirts have no logos. They wear no rings, and their tattoos are classic Americana. Sixty seconds later, the two men stand, nod, hop on their bikes, and ride off into the night. Well then, I suppose it is time for me to go home. Other Joe stands, brushes off the dirt, holding tightly to his wet clothes, carefully crosses the road and climbs a grassy embankment. He stares ahead at the roundabout before him, shakes off the night, and jogs the rest of the way back to his apartment. Sometime later, Other Joe sits with his instrument in hand and stares intently at the blank page on the lectern inches from his face. Willing the notes into existence, he conjures the memories of his pain and scrawls hastily as the moments begin to whirl within him. After writing three pages, he begins to play. He gently blows into his horn, bringing to life the ink on the pages. Blending, the notes change keys several times, ascending and descending with each four count. The sounds confound the students that encircle Other Joe, waiting their turn to present what is inside them. The assignment has everyone drawing on all that stirs within them and playing it once alone, and then again with everyone joining in. His horn cries out into the room, filling the space with his grief. The uncertainty becomes evident as the key changes, jarring, yet beautiful the room feels ready to burst. He finishes with a single tone. Cyclically, he maintains that A flat for several breaths, holding steady for a few moments. For a moment, for a few moments, he wavers every fifth and. The students feel pity for a moment, but as it continues to happen, its intentionality begins to show. The regular loss of control speaks to one of the students who, without waiting for him to finish, joins on her horn. She holds the note softly, allowing his stutters to be heard clearly before adding her own hitches on the seventh and. Another student joins, hiccuping on the third and. Several other students play in harmony, some holding a natural C, others joining with an E-flat. Without a word, everyone playing the C in unison drops it down a half, and the room is flooded with the broken cries of a full A-flat minor. It plays as it has for an eight count, before everyone holding it steady for another eight. Everyone stops playing at the same time. Another Joe sits at the center of the room, breathing heavily and watching the sweat drop from the tip of his nose, Onto the floor. One, two, three, four. The end. Wow, man. It's like uh, almost scary how, I mean, everyone's heard our conversation, Mm -hmm. but even with that information, it's scary how accurate some of the just the conjurings are. It's, uh, it's a little eerie. It's a little eerie. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Right on. I don't. I don't know what music school is like. I just imagine you guys have to do uncomfortable things <laughs> in class. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. That might be a part of it. Yeah. 
So if I remember correctly, you decided I was a runner before we met. Right. And I told you I was a runner. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's, there's so much that's, you know, I know I'm not special cosmically, you mm -hmm. know, no, no experience on common demand. There's so much that it's like, yeah, you know, this happened, uh, the counting, mm -hmm. counting cars, counting seconds, uh, people, I pull something socially that, uh, I guess was on heroes. There was a female cellist on heroes, the TV show mm -hmm. and she would wear headphones, but they wouldn't be plugged into anything. Mm. Um, and I would do that. So people don't talk to me or bother me when I'm trying to do something like run. Cause yeah. when I'm running, I would almost always just that connection, your body and the ground. Um, so I would do what they call unplugged runs mm -hmm. and uh, have lots of internal dialogue and the the more the internal dialogue was would dictate the run you know i would go out mm. for a 30 minute run and come back four hours later oh. uh yeah so that's almost like like eerie and in that time of life um those very conversations <laughs> are, are my runs yeah uh yeah and i walked past docks like a hundred times my dorm was actually behind it nice i don't think i told you that but my dorm was like behind and one to the right of docks oh look at that yeah <laughs> yes what a guess what a guess yeah but whatever it is 35 45 feet in the air that would not be a good fall man that would not feel good was it that far it's an overpass, you know. Uh, oh, okay. So, like, I was looking at um, some of the photos, and it, it seemed like it was just just enough for, like, a semi to get under it. So, I was thinking, like, oh, okay, maybe this is just one of these. So, I might have been at the wrong like spot. like, 20 feet? I don't know. I mean, sometimes they're as short as, like, 15 feet, 13, okay. 15 feet. I don't know how far it was, but in the picture I saw, I was like, okay, I think he could survive this if he just dropped <laughs> <laughs> I think so, but I mean, if it was a, a different one, that's like one of the taller ones. Then, oh, no, snap. it's I. I don't think they rebuilt the thing. It's probably that one. Uh, yeah, I don't think a lot of people have had the experience of sitting on a bridge looking for vehicles. But uh, yeah, you're. It's pretty. I don't know. Like Google some suicidalities. Um, the the looking mm -hmm. looking at things and counting seconds. Mm -hmm. um is is something that people would do um and then you know with the nighttime even on a trekking route uh yeah definitely difficult to tell two motorcycles from a truck yeah <laughs> plot twist yeah <laughs> yeah yeah then you're just looking like a jackhole right uh, right yeah you know what else is funny I I don't remember if we talked about this. I was a little bit socially tyrannical. I don't want to say abusive, but probably with my friends. I blew off all kinds of things for mm. music and for the pursuit. Gotcha. Um, and there's a really good article. I think it's called The Note. Um, mm. It's an article in a music journal. And I think it's like Chris Smith or Paul Smith. Um What's this? It's a famous trumpet player who was with Chicago Symphony or LA Symphony. He's talking about that haunting note. Your whole career, your reputation can be destroyed in one note. Oh. Um, so 
when I was in school, I, I was a big deal as a musician. And because I would blow off so many things for music, people would know my mood and what was going on based on how I showed up on the horn mm-hmm. uh, in different groups. Okay. So that was interesting because we didn't talk about that. But no, that was no. interesting. Um, especially the people that were my friends would definitely know, you know, based on how distracted I was, the color of the tones that I'm putting out, Mm. uh, and that kind of thing, you know, messing up, you know, minor things or whatever. Uh, I mean, it wasn't like whiplash, you know, Dr. Kerr wasn't slapping anyone, but, um, it, it was a culture of excellence for sure. Yeah. Wow. And Yeah. And I guess now with my wife, you know, I can tell some things that are going on with, uh, she's a vocalist, but how, how she manifests things with her voice, mm-hmm. you know, huh. man, that's, that's almost eerie. Is this what everyone feels like? <laughs> <laughs> sometimes, sometimes, yeah. sometimes, uh, it's different, but it's eerily familiar. Yeah. Which, which that, that feels good to hear because that's, that's the goal. Cause like, I, I don't want to just describe exactly what you said was your experience like i want to describe something similar but slightly different but try and kind of put you in and then you know using my own imagination to create parts of you sometimes i hit and sometimes i don't but when i hit it's it's similar to like oh that's so it's really uncanny how you came up with that um so like a, a couple episodes back the listeners will recognize uh max he's an opera singer out of italy and we never talked about it, but I decided in his story that uh, he was a journalist, right? And you just journal, journal, journal. But I gave him like a, a twist on journaling. And uh, it's, if you've ever heard of those restaurants um, where you're blindfolded, right? In the, oh, yeah. Yeah, the whole staff is blind. <laughs> so his journal was blank pages, but uh, textured page numbers. So he would, in his mind, add memories to that um, texture. And that's how he would go through his journal. Right. And so when we were talking about it, he's like, I, I don't know how you knew, but I, I journal, I've been journaling for like 30 years or whatever. And I was like, Oh, what a guess, you know? So it happens. I just started journaling. I used to, okay. Probably took a decade off, started maybe six, seven weeks ago. Okay. How's that going for you? Good, good. I I don't do it every day, and if I miss a day, I'm just it's what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I I finished out a whole book already. I'm you know over you're overzealous in the beginning. Yeah. It's like oh, oh, oh what if I have six pages of crap in here for one day? Nothing yeah. has happened. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. And I'm making myself do it in the morning, so I do a brain dump. Okay. Um, and honestly, I also heard that it's good for the creative process if I'm going to sketch a video or try and content map for the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm trying to do that at like 6.37 okay. in the morning before kids and work and yeah. blah. So I don't know when other people journal, but I'm doing it first thing in the morning. Nice. And yeah, there's a, good. there's a book called The Artist's Way. And in it, one of, the, one of the, the things that you do alongside of it is what they call morning pages. And essentially you write three full pages in this workbook that comes along with the book. Um, and it doesn't matter what it is. It, you just write word if that's all you got, but it's just getting into the habit of getting things on paper first thing in the morning. So 
I am looking that up. Boom. There it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can't yeah. use my phone because it's been puddled. Oh, but, uh... well, went for a swim. <laughs> went yeah. for a swim. My phone committed suicide last <laughs> night. Uh, enough of this cruel world. That's tough. Yeah, so it's, I get that. I, like, I when I was younger, I used to journal a lot. But then, like, I had three or four full journals. And I was like, I don't know what to do with these. Do I throw them away? Do I burn them? Do I keep them? And so I have them. But because I, I had filled, I'd, the, the idea of having, like, a bookshelf full of journals, like, freaked me out. So I stopped. What do you do when you finish yours? I bought, so I had some kind of disparate journals floating around. Um, and I decided that I wasn't going to like the feel of that. Uh, so I have dedicated work notebooks, which have to remain separate for reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I've got some ones that are particularly just religious writings. Uh, but I bought a box, I think about like 30 of the same journal and they're in a box in this closet over here and I'm almost done with one and I'm going to toss it in the box, you know, take a journal, leave a journal kind of thing. Okay. And, um, I guess at some point it'll be a box full of filled out journals and then uh get another box are you, uh, are you gonna little... keep them no oh, yeah 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 okay i'll keep them um i don't know if uh so i'm still less than one journal in so i don't know if i'm gonna chronicle them in the in some way or, or catalog them rather okay. um I'm trying to make it a little organized. So my regular writing's in black, but if I want to learn anything, like if I'm watching a master class or a TED talk or something, mm-hmm. I make sure to use a blue pen. So if I, I can scroll to a blue page and there'll be a header at the top, like I just listened to Daniel Pink's Mastering the Art of Persuasion. So I can mm-hmm. turn to that page, it's blue. It says Daniel Pink Persuasion at oh. the top or Chris Voss Negotiation or something. Um, I don't know. I definitely... Part of the vision, obviously, I have a lot of kids. Uh, or we have three little ones. The fourth one's on the way. Right. Um, you know, if they, I have some journals from uh, college time, actually, from around the time the story takes place. And oh, if wow. they want to know what things were like or what I was thinking or dealing with mm-hmm. in then, and then, of course, I skip a decade. But between now and, you know, what were you thinking when I was six? You know, right. there's a journal for that. Gotcha. Yeah. I'm impossible to embarrass. Okay. Uh, and um, I'm probably going to be a sociopath or something because <laughs> I have feelings, but they don't really impact me. And I remember I had this one pastor and he said, you do the same thing I did. He says, we have our feelings, but we don't allow ourselves to make decisions. Um based uh, in the feeling okay. yeah so i i have no bones about being like here james here violent take these journals read them ask your embarrassing questions or whatever <laughs> okay yeah have you always been that way not connected to your emotional stores or probably no not as long as i can remember so sometime between say 14 and 20 no, nah, I was impossible to embarrass in high school. Um, so I guess middle school time frame, I just decided everyone else is so wrapped up in their reputation and not being embarrassed and kind mm-hmm. of the cover up is worse than the crime type of deal. Right. Um, and I was just like, you know what? I think it happened around 
the time, sixth or seventh grade, when I was thinking about asking a girl out for the first time, I had decided that it was stupid not to ask in case she said no. Okay. Which she did. Okay. Uh, yeah, I won't say her name, okay. but uh, uh, but the second girl said yes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> they sat next to each other oh. <laughs> in, uh, in my middle school band. So, okay. guys, if you're listening to this. You know who you are. You yeah. know what you did. <laughs> uh, yeah, I decided it was stupid. I leaned over to my buddy Justin, who was dealing with the same thing. We both wanted to ask out girls in the same class. And I said, this is stupid. I'm just going to ask her. And then I get shut down. And he's like, I'm definitely not doing that. <laughs> okay. Did he gain confidence after the, the second one said yes? No. No, no. <laughs> no, Justin didn't gain confidence until... Uh, high school don't know why he was smart talented good in sports in academics and in music you come on yeah huh just shy with the ladies okay. till high school till high school you got it together all right so since then you haven't been impo- you've been impossible to embarrass okay yeah right on that must be handy that must be is that uh part of the um the inner workings of the show like gaining your confidence that you're working on? Does it have to, do you like do it from your own perspective or do you borrow other people's um, thoughts with your own interpretation and take on it or? The, the latter. Um, okay. So uh, the intention is to talk more people into it, uh, into the lifestyle, I guess. Sure. Uh, and and I, I use the Socratic method, you know, I, I, I fan, uh, stupidity all the time and you know explain this to me I don't really understand mm. and you know you you ask those questions so what happens if everyone finds out mm. you know yeah uh, what do you do and it's like it's actually not that bad yeah. yeah I had an unfortunate incident with an electric fence one time uh and it's like, what happens if everyone finds out? I was like, I didn't care. People were embarrassed for me at the time. And I've told that story. Mm-hmm. Uh, my criminal justice class, I was the president of. So I got to give a speech at the graduation in front of about, I don't know, a thousand cops and nice. politicians and whatnot. And I said, I got up there and I say, well, um, I wasn't a huge public speaker at the time. But I said, I've heard you either open with a joke or a funny story. Uh, so I'm going to tell you all about the time that I peed on this fence and had my junk out there for the whole world to see. And I'm like zapped, like Ernest goes to jail. <laughs> uh, and then I gave him a speech. It's just like, yeah. And we had a woman there, Katie Davis. Uh, she did story time with Katie. She would come in and tell us a story from her detective days and whatnot, uh, you know, catching weird calls. Yeah. And, uh, she just busted a gut. I still remember her in that room just dying. Like, I can't believe he's told this room full of people this embarrassing story. It's like, ah, yeah, whatever. It's fine. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. funny. That must have been, that must have been intense. I'm, I'm trying to imagine you. How, how old were you when that happened? Um, uh, that was before we went to Fort Sill. So, I don't know, 22, 23. Oh, okay. So you were a full-on adult when you peed on an electric fence. Oh, no, no, no. I was in school. I thought you were talking about when I was telling that story. Oh, no, no. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. That room. Yeah. Well, oh, how old no, were no, you no. when you yeah. when you were electrocuted? What, 12, 13? Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, 
yeah <laughs> dang what are you gonna do right you know? did you or were you testing to see if that would happen or were you just like hey, no. this will be fun i didn't know uh you know i'm from long island so i'm not a farm person at all electric fences are like folklore to us like gotcha. there's no such thing as an electric fence um, I thought it was a crappy looking fence and it was too small to contain the animals that lived on this property. Um, and I could be, you know, I could take the 10 steps to go inside this guy, Jordan's house, playing ball at his house. I could take those 10 steps and go inside and use the bathroom or I could go pee over by these trash cans and this stupid fence. Mm-hmm. And it was like the sixth sense, like, oh, anytime a ball or anything goes over the fence, you know, the guys like back up and run and dive over or flip over it. And I thought they were being cool. And then it all made sense in that moment. Like, oh, he sees dead people. I'm like, oh, everyone knows this is an electric fence except for the idiot who just moved here. Uh, Ouch. Ouch. Did you poop yourself? No, I did not. Okay. So At at least there's that. (laughs) Yeah. I, to my knowledge, I have yet to just complete evacuate and just defecate all over myself. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. I've been electrocuted a few times. Um, Dude, you got to stop that. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, there was, but there was like a, a period where it just happened like again and again. I, 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 if you remember, this was like the late nineties. There was a video game system called the Sega Saturn, uh, and I like I got a, a job when I was in school, and I I bought my own Sega Saturn. I was very proud of it. Very excited to have it, and I was playing right playing a game and then it stopped working i was like oh i just need to replace the 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 power cord no problem and then so i went and got one i went to like the store and i bought one i came home but they were two uh female ends and i was like oh this is so stupid i know i have some copper wire upstairs i'll just make one right and so i plugged it in because i'm super genius and I, I put one end of this copper wire in one of the holes of the female end. And then without clipping it at all, I just literally took it in a loop and plugged the other copper uh, end of the copper wire into the other hole, completing the circuit of this plugged in power cord. And like the I got shocked. It exploded in my face. The power in the house went out. It was awesome. Uh, that's my favorite. Well, my, that's one of my favorite. I was electrocuted stories. The other time I was changing a battery in my car and I connected the positive and the negative with a wrench when I was trying to undo and it like shocked me and I like screamed and drained the whole battery into my body. It was great. It was great. It happened so fast. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Man. You know, it didn't happen so fast uh, (laughs) about your story when you know, we're, we're trying to people, humans, part of the human condition is we're trying to make sense of the world around us. So when, uh, other Joe or regular Joe, whichever Joe, uh, butt scoots off the ledge in my mind, I'm like, okay, what's going to happen is because it's not been long in the story Mm -hmm. is it's going to be a long journey down (laughs) like a lot of dialogue. (laughs) And then you're like crashes into the ground. I was like, it was like on my end it was like a long and short time yeah (laughs) it's like oh what's gonna happen if i if my back wasn't out of whack i'd be on the edge of my seat yeah (laughs) for that brief sentence (laughs) last one sentence it's it's like a long 
you know, you play a whole plot of a movie in your head in that instance. <laughs> That's what we do. People that say, oh, I'm always an active listener. No, you're not. Yeah. Your brain is going. Mm-hmm. And and I had filled in a 10 minute scene of falling. Yeah. <laughs> in that instant. And of course, I'm thinking like, oh, this is obviously a truck. Like, this is this is it. Yeah. And that was like plot plot twist yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not just the plot twist the twisted plot twisted yeah yeah man right on right on you know you ever been to uh opossum creek it's like a tiny little not creek to my knowledge there. okay it's in the the hills behind um the school there there's like a few running paths I, I saw or hiking trails or whatever. Oh, behind I had to have. I lived up uh, when I got married. I lived up that mountain and would oh. run on that mountain. So gotcha. Anything behind the school. So uh, let me try and position it in my head south of the school. Uh, oh, up this the is... mountain from the monogram. Oh uh, yeah. So the 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 LU uh, right at the base there, just straight east of it. Uh, there is like way up there. There's like a, a creek called a, a possum creek. Um, I don't think I ever ran that far. No. <laughs> yeah, it would it would have been a bit of a hike. Like just yeah. looking at it. The, so there were some trails and stuff, and then there's a little bit of a walk in just uh, the bush before you get to it. Um, so, but I like it, I was able to. There's like a single road that goes up nearby. I was able to catch glimpses of it. Um, so I was like, yep, he's there. He's there. Yeah, it's a beautiful part of the country, especially for anyone who loves outdoors. I mean, still, you know, three kids later um, and so many wonderful moments later, still some of the most breathtaking things I've ever seen is walking out of my dorm early in the morning and looking like I, you would come out into a breezeway Uh, Mm -hmm. in between like two sets of apartments and it was just like mountains and mist and clouds and the sun coming Mm. Uh, well the sun wouldn't come out from like where i could see the mountains it would be to my right okay uh, which is, is of course east but um yeah it's just lynchburg is an incredible area of the country Hmm. uh, anywhere up and down the blue ridge trail i mean people come from all over the world to watch the leaves change right there and that's like where i got to live Hmm. and i can't imagine not being an artist or someone who appreciates beauty and living there yeah um the just the trails the waterfalls and mountains and Hmm. all kinds of stuff really cool spot i wouldn't mind you know retiring there or maybe getting a job at lu someday Okay. Uh, super cool place. Nice. I love I love waterfalls. I love love waterfalls. Do you ever get the urge when you see one to like oh, can I jump off of that waterfall? I just Maybe when I was younger. Yeah. <laughs> no, are you kidding? Yeah. And D sees me like leaning in my chair, nursing my back on this heating pad. No, I don't have the urge to jump off of anything. I don't have the urge to jump out of bed in the morning at gotcha. this point. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. There's um, there's this place in in Puerto Rico up in the the rainforest, and it has like seven waterfalls, seven or eight waterfalls. You can't jump off of all of them, but quite a few. 
there's like this really deep pool right at the base, which is pretty cool. Uh, I don't know why I've always just, maybe I saw it in a movie one time when I was younger. So I'm just like, oh, I want to do that all the time. Um, so that's what just, are you waiting for, man? Oh, no, I did it while I was there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I did it while I was there. It's just something magical when you jump in and then you're just covered in, you know, like, or like when you stand up, you're getting smashed by the water that's falling over the, you know, the water. I don't know. I just thought it was magical. Magical. I think the, the yeah, most... we're no, go ahead. done. Oh, I was going to say we're fans of taking the scenic route. So if I go, we're in Virginia, my parents live up in Maryland. Uh, when we go see them, we don't really take the, uh, the interstate. We take the scenic route and it takes you through Great Falls, Virginia. Um, so when you're on that road, that back road in, in the forest, you know, you'll see dozens, if not hundreds of cars hmm. on the side of the road because people are going to hike to the Great Falls. Nice. Uh, yeah, but it's no Lynchburg. But it's, <laughs> it's, no, it's no Lynchburg. All right. Yeah. All right. Yeah, my parents were like, you know, black dude moving to a town called Lynchburg. They're like, you're doing what? Yeah. Like, everything's fine. Everything's fine. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's funny. That's funny. Oh, man. We're done. We're done. Was there any other part of the story that um, like clicked? Um, you know, it was obviously different, mm-hmm. you know, with two guys, uh, motorcyclists, but just how like innocuous it was, the encounter mm-hmm. was similar like this LUPD or we call them loop D officer is like a nameless, faceless person, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and your, your mind tries to fill in gaps like. And I just try and leave it like I know that he was white over 30 or, you know, 30, Mm -hmm. 35, maybe 40. So over not a young man. Right. And and a man. Okay. And I can't suss out any other details. (sighs) And it's like a familiar feeling with these cyclists. (laughs) These bikers. Yeah. Just like almost like nameless faceless Mm -hmm. people there for this glimpse and i gotta imagine that the interaction between us is more important to me than him Mm -hmm. probably doesn't remember me you know i drove by a guy on the bridge what did i say you didn't say anything you said hey (laughs) yeah yeah well you seem like cool dude i hope i uh see you again it's like no you don't you never saw me again ever We didn't exchange cards or anything. Yeah. Oh, that's fine. Yeah, I wanted them to um, to be at least come back and, you know, make sure you're all right. And then just, just leave. Not make sure you get to safety or anything like that. I just, like, kind of uh, as, like, um, a, a representation of that cop, you know. Not authority figures, just literally somebody that saw you fall. Like, all right. Just random tatted up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, any suicide interventionist worth their salt will tell you one in therapy or whatever. It's bullcrap. People say suicide's not an option. And it's bullcrap. Of course it is. You mm-hmm. can't stop someone. But they're not going to get in trouble, arrested. Yeah. Uh, 
reprimand, whatever. Um, so once you get past that, uh, any suicide interventionist worth their salt will not do the TV thing of tackling you off a ledge. <laughs> Um, right. you know, mm -hmm. kind of getting it to click in your head because you've gone past thinking to planning preparation. Mm -hmm. uh, then it's a matter of time thing. So unless you're going to get committed, mm -hmm. then all of those other efforts are of, you know, no consequence. It's just like, all right, so we all leave from here and, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and then things are kind of the same as they were. Right. Uh, yeah. So. Uh, but one of the details, it was like a one-liner, but, but super weighty, is you do something like that, you're it's done, you're gone, whatever happens in the afterlife. Mm -hmm. You know, listeners, you fill in the blank with whatever you think happens. Uh, but one of them said something like, you know, we'd be left to deal with what happened. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a heck of a line because that's that's true. Yeah, I've said as much in trainings hundreds of times. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like that left behind feel. Mm -hmm. um, and my wife and I watch a million little things on uh, mm. on Hulu, and one of the main characters, kind of the at the beginning of the show, kills himself, and everyone else is left picking up the pieces. Yeah. Um, but when you involve a third or fourth party in your actual suicide, mm -hmm. yeah, someone witnesses it or you're using someone else's vehicle. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's like, it's tough. Yeah. But it was just a line. It was a one liner. I caught that. It was All a right. good line. Right on. Right you on. Know. Right on. Yeah. I think about that, um, that the idea of that, um, so uh, one of the the coaches that my wife um, listens to, she talks about how she got her start because she was sitting in her car outside of a hotel and somebody jumped to their death, like right in front of her car, you know, and so she was left to deal with that. And that's interestingly enough, it's what kickstarted her on her journey to become a coach. Um, but I think about that, you know, and it's like when you utilize other people for these means or if you do it in a way where other people are like immediately impacted by that decision, then it's like, Oh, you know, they're, they're left with the baggage now. It's like not fully handing off the things that you're dealing with, but this bag full of demons that you had, somebody has a portion of that now. So the, the idea of that. And then like when you were telling me how you were like waiting for the right set of lights made me think like, Oh man, thinking of, this truck driver just ambling down and then just do, do, yeah. do, do, do. what was that you know sort of thing so yep yep yeah wild wild stuff yeah i don't know anything like my knowledge is crap of short story writing i told myself i would do the master class short story writing i did not I put it on the watch list and I never finished it. I watched maybe a video of it, like exposition and this, that. But man, I think you do a great job because this is the fourth one of your stories I've heard. Mm -hmm. And they're just like, they're super good. Ah, thank you for that. Thank you very much. I really appreciate that. And it's, it's just, 
it's not out of thin air, but it might as well be, you know, I, I feel like you could write these stories without our stories, but it's extra interesting to that parallel. Mm -hmm. And it's not art imitating life. It's not completely fiction. It's like another category. Yeah. That's yeah. and the interplay between like, oh no, this really happened. Yeah, I really did that. And then this is this is totally other other world, other experience. Mm -hmm. And it's just all mangled up, man. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's cool. And I thought it was cool before there was one of me, just for everyone listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so interesting. Uh it just makes it more thought provoking you know there's writing that's supposed to be compelling you know, mm -hmm. you know convincing or whatever and then there's pure fantasy fiction whatever but i just think it's it's thought provoking it's mm -hmm. interesting it's just yeah right on right on excellent oh i i hear I hear protest. It's always the four-year-old and six-year-old just go right to bed, but the two-year-old, <laughs> no. it's protest every no. night. Like, <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. I'm complaining. I'm not even putting her to bed. Right. <laughs> My wife is. <laughs> yeah, but she listens to this. She'll be like, "What the?" Yeah. Wait a second. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right on. Right on. I think that's this this right here feels like a, a good place to to wrap things up. Um, again, my my guest today, Joe Mobley, check him out on the interwebs, thejoemobleyshow.com, or on locals, the show thejoemobleyshow.locals.com. Um, oh, he, he said if if you ever reach out and you hope to hear a response, the locals is where <laughs> you find him. <laughs> Yeah, Twitter, YouTube, that kind of thing. You'll hear back in days or weeks. Right. Uh, but locals, you know, okay. five minutes to a couple hours. There you go. Look at that. All right. Excellent. Joe, thank you so much for being a part of the show. I really appreciate you spending some time with me, opening up, and letting me write a story about you. Thank you. Of course. Thanks, Steve. For sure. Enjoyed for sure. it. Excellent. Uh, Yeah. This is going to wrap up the show. Come back next week for another episode of Other You. Follow me on Twitter, other, at Other You Podcast. For Joe, I am D, and we out. Bye.